You're listening to episode 5,878 of Inspirational Decency. And the band leader for tonight's show is none other than Mr. Dickie Betts. Mr. Dickie Betts, give it up for Dickie Betts. Dickie Betts. All right. Uh, hello, Elliot. And thank you for coming to this, your exit interview. I trust that you have had an enjoyable three years at our company. And we just thought we'd ask you a few questions about your time here and possibly ways in which you can improve and that also we could improve. So, first of all, how would you classify your time spent at Spring Corps? Hmm. Right. Well, no, that's, that is true. They're usually, I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years, and typically there aren't that many fire bombings. That's more of an aberration. That's not an industry standard. Mm-hmm. Well, this is something we covered in that memo we sent out a couple months ago. Our approach to dress codes can perhaps accurately be described as neo-European. Specifically, those countries in Europe where they fire you for wearing clothing. So, basically, our, our rationale for the somewhat scandalously libertine dress code we like to maintain here at Spring Corps is that being free of the strictures, the demands of clothing, the somewhat fascistic need to keep one covered, hindered, hemmed in, really contradicts the corporate philosophy that we've cultivated over the last 30 years. We feel that in donning clothing, whether it be arrogant, pompous shirts or clingy, demanding pants, quote-unquote, or possessive, mocking underwear, you're really opting out of the human race towards freedom. And we want our workers here, more than anything else, to strive for an existence free of hindrance or shackles or privacy, quite possibly the most egregious form of chains, we feel that by throwing off the societal stocks and handcuffs that too easily come to define us, we can finally reach our full degree of productivity, of liberty, and of nudity. Uh, that that the privacy though I guess it, that brings us to our our, our next point. Uh, I know in the past that you've specified our at, at worst paternalistic habit of hacking into employee email accounts and offering definitively well-meaning uh, yet perhaps quote unquote invasive and 
domineering advice. Well, we've heard these criticisms, of course, and uh, let's just say that we certainly don't view our attempts to steer the ship of email correspondence into the fjord of increased productivity as in any way you know, fascistic or, or big brotherish or Orwellian or what have you. We instead view you as toddlers who need to be reminded of when exactly to put away their toys for the day and go outside and build a treehouse. Which, of course, brings us to the next program that uh, received a lot of criticism, the forced treehouse program. I admit that causing our employees to go outside and construct treehouses uh, under the threat of being terminated may have given the project an image that we did not intend to bestow upon it. You see, we view treehouses as both secure and easily observable, which is a direct reflection of our corporate philosophy and the outlook we have towards our employees. We want you to feel safety, security, a sense of privacy, solitude, that allows you to carry out your work with a certain sense of relaxation. Yet at the same time, we realize that unchecked privacy can only result in a lack of productivity, uh, a sense of solipsism, a sense of being closed off from your fellow co-workers, and that is actually poisonous to a work environment. And also, the things that I envision you people doing behind closed doors. I always envision whipped cream, many, many cherries, chocolate syrup, and a large pile of margarine. Not a tub, just a pile. Not sitting in any container, but sitting there, glistening yellow. Its use, mysterious, unknowable, at least to those who cannot observe from the outside. This is what the treehouse represents to us. You feel secure, and yet you have our parental observation keeping you from going astray. In any case, uh, that is today's exit interview. Uh, I hope that you've, again, enjoyed your time here, and if you uh, had any questions uh, just feel free to let us know. Uh, we should say before we let you go that uh, we have a couple of points just about your performance. Uh, in general, you are a fine employee, but if we could leave you with any nugget of wisdom in particular, it would be that at your next job, it's safe to assume, as was the case here, that the janitor does not want to do that. Okay. I don't need to say it, but he or she does not want to do that. I think you know what I'm referring to. I don't want to say it out loud. But I have never seen an emu in that kind of position, and I hope never to see it again. Okay. Good day to you, sir.
Hello. I understand the following things. Carrots. Carrot cake. Carrot hearts. Carrot coffee. Carrot love. Broccoli. Broccoli hearts. Large wildebeest. Wolverine. The legend of Wolverine. The divorce of Wolverine. X-Men. Y-Men. Excalibur. Former Caliber. Extinction. Excavation. X-Factor. X-Rays. Z-Rays. The Z-Man. The Z-Kid. The Zebra. The X-Bra. The X-Bro. The Current Bro. Magazines. Ragazines. Which I like magazines, but dirtier. Stagazines. Which are stag parties where you also put together zines. Bagazines. Which are self-explanatory. Okay, maybe they're not. Bagazines are zines made out of recycled bags. Daniel Craigazines. Zines devoted to Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig T. Nelson. An unholy melding of Jenny Craig and coach star Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson Mandela. An unholy melding of coach star Craig T. Nelson and Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandelin. The guy in my neighborhood who looks like Nelson Mandela and plays the mandolin. Mandolin Rain by Bruce Coburn. Mandolin Rain by Bruce Hornsby, which is what I meant to say earlier. Mandolin Wind by Bruce Hornsby, in case that is the actual title of the song I'm Trying to Remember by Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. The Range. Here's a list of things I do not understand. Bruce Hornsby and the Range. Chocolate Souffle. The Chocolate Shuffle. Which is the dance created by Chocolate Inventor Huff Macon. The Harlem Shuffle by the Rolling Stones. The East Lansing, Michigan Shuffle by the Rolling Stones. Anything with the word paradise in the title. Anything with the word city in the title. Paradise City. Guns. Roses. Pocket Protectors. Pocket Destroyers. Fountain Pens. Fountain Pencils. Fountain Computers. God. Thank you. You just heard Party Till I'm Dead by Brazilian Money, which I will certainly never do because... You see, I I don't do parties. Well, that's not entirely true. I do parties. But what I don't do is the after party. 
Say you've got an event. Say it's some kind of music show, some sort of concert, some sort of bris, funeral, wedding. Maybe you've had an official ceremony to celebrate your divorce. You've stood in front of the justice of the peace, and as is custom at a divorce ceremony, you've punched the ritual life-size cutout of Frank Gorshin right in, right in the tuchus, right in the butt. You've done all that. Your divorce is final. And you say to me, Darren, you've been gracious enough to share in this the holiest of days that involve two people not loving each other. What say you to coming back to our house and enjoying a spread of meats, cheeses, wines, and juices, and mingling and socializing with others who we have deemed worthy of our jubilation? And in response to such a question, I will inevitably take a deep breath, sigh about five times with increasing intensity, and with increasing musicality. I am a quite melodious sire. Let me demonstrate that for you now. Anyway, I will finish doing that, and then I will look you straight in the eye, and I will curse your filthy name for even daring to invite me to your accursed after-party. Here's the thing. God intended parties to last a particular stretch of time. He did not, or she, or it, it did not intend parties to extend beyond two hours. Two hours, it has been scientifically proven, is the absolute maximum that you can even possibly hope to enjoy yourself before petering out, becoming depressed, becoming tired, soporific, boring, quite frankly. You've, you will have inevitably exhausted all of your funny anecdotes about your cat and his shady business dealings. Two hours, and then the party ends, everyone goes home, they watch reruns of Hercule Poirot, or possibly The X-Files, but more likely, Three's Company, and life proceeds apace. It continues inexorably and at a satisfactory clip. But after parties, this is what you're saying to the universe when you decide to have an after party. 
Oh, the culturally, globally assigned time for parties is something to be scoffed at. No, it's, it's not enough for me. I need to, you know, rock and roll until the wee dawn hours of the morning. For I am greedy. I am a greedy piece of swine. And I deserve to be lashed about the face and neck until I finally realize that two hours with no after party is the only acceptable time, the only acceptable duration for my happiness. For you see, there is a global shortage of festivity, and we need to conserve what little we have of the Earth's resources of rabble-rousing and mirth-making before it is entirely depleted. This has been James Earl Jones. Please don't go to any after-parties. Now you're wondering if this is James... Why, why would James Earl Jones start out by saying his name is Darren? I am something of a prankster. That is the only explanation you'll receive and the only explanation you shall need. Good night. And just a reminder, there will be no after party after this show. <laughs>